0: Amen. All right, friends. Well, we started off a series last week called Anchored. Uh, and what we are looking at is the idea of there are going to be storms in life. There are going to be hardships, difficulties, and other things that are going to happen. So how is it that we can live like people that are anchored like Jesus? And we told the story of how Jesus was in the boat with his disciples, crossing from one side of the lake to another. And while that was happening, the winds and the waves were crashing around, crashing over, and his disciples were freaking out and trying to uh, wait, uh, be concerned. Does Jesus even care whether or not like the storm is happening, whether or not we're going to die? And in the middle of all of that, Jesus is so anchored on the inside, so confidence in who God is and who. He is, that he is able to bring peace to the chaos around him. And so what we're looking at over the next few weeks is how can we become anchored people? How can we be anchored like Jesus? And what we said is there are these kind of five areas that I think that Jesus, he really held these things, these really tight beliefs that no matter what happened, he refused to let them go. And that's one of the things that help him to be anchored. And so we just want to be like him. And so here are those five things, and I'm going to ask you, even though I said we don't do this well, this will be evidence of that, we're going to read these five things together, okay? They're going to show up here on your screen. So here we go. First, God is good. I am loved. I am never alone. I am sent with purpose. My future is secure. Today, we're going to talk about that first one, the goodness of God. And you should have got a little paper that has a verse on the back of it. So a couple of things I want to tell you before we dig in. One, you might be the kind of person who might want to memorize the verse that's on the back of this little card. Because each week there will be an anchor verse or two. That will be kind of where we kind of give our focus. And there might, I don't know, there might be a gift card involved. If a person was to come back when, and having memorized this verse. I'm not saying for every person, but maybe for one or two of you. Also, for those five things, this might be... Oh, some of you guys were excited. You're like, you're giving gift cards to everyone? No. I mean, no. Just one or two of you. Uh, also, you might want to memorize those five things. Uh, the, those, we, we put ours up on our fridge and we've been rehearsing them. Uh, and, and, every, every day we've been kind of going through them together. And so you might want to memorize those five things and see how they anchor you. Actually, uh, I t- oh, where's, oh man, no, my kids are here. They all left. They're serving. They're serving. Oh, <laughs> all right, cool. Well, let me tell you something we do and then we'll prove it next week when they're in here. So every day that our kids go to school, I ask them the same questions. Who made you? And they say, God. And I say, how did, the, how did God make you? And they say, Really, really, really good. And then I say, what did God make you to do? And they say to me, love him and love people. And I ask them, who is on your side? And they say, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, and spiritual family. And then I ask them, should you ever be afraid? And they'll say, no. And we do this every day before we go to school, before I drop them off at school, before we go on our day. And these are anchoring things in our family. These five things, I think, can be anchoring things for you as well. This first one that we're going to talk about, God is good, feels like childish almost, doesn't it? Like three words that seem like so, so simple. Like it's literally in the prayer that you teach your kids to pray before dinner, right? God is great. God is good, let us thank him for our food, right? Anyone pray this prayer is it just our family? Yeah, yeah, okay, good. The, it's amazing when you're with someone else and they pray something different and it like, it's like, wait, what? That's not how that prayer goes, you know? But this idea of God being good is so, so incredibly simple. But some of the most simple things have the most profound impact in our life. So I was thinking about this and I, I remember a story of uh, during the 1800s there was this doctor, he was a Hungarian, and he was working in a hospital, a maternity ward. And while he was working in this hospital, one of the things that they discovered is that when the doctors would work and deliver babies, there was actually a really high mortality rate am- among the babies. But when the midwives were to deliver the babies, for whatever reason, the mortality rate was totally different. And so this doctor was looking, It's like, what is the difference? And you might say, well, the midwives and women are just better than men, and so maybe, you know, maybe that's what you're thinking right now. But that's not where the story's going. But what the doctor discovered was, is that the doctors, uh, that while the doctors were uh, going into the, um, into the delivery room, oftentimes they were just leaving kind of handling, working with like other organic materials, and they weren't washing their hands before they went in. Because hand washing 200 years ago wasn't the thing that people did. No one, no one thought of washing their hands. While the midwives would go in and deliver, and they weren't washing their hands, but they hadn't been dealing with the germs that the doctors had. And so the doctor simply said this, from now on in my maternity ward, every doctor will wash their hands no matter what. And do you know what happened? Immediately, the mortality rate went down, and they were delivering crazy, crazy amounts of births. This is one of the first instances in the medical field of doctors washing their hands. Simple things. These little germs that you couldn't see, We're actually causing death and a simple practice of washing your hands like brought life. Isn't that crazy? Like it's something we take for granted every day, this simple act of washing your hands. But these small things can have big effects. Have you ever tried to put something together from Ikea and been missing a part? Like this is the worst thing. Because you're like, I know I followed the little directions with the people. Like, I know I did, it, I did it just like this. And there is something missing. And the whole thing won't work if you're missing that one little thing. Like, it, I mean, there have been some moments where I've had to, like, come to salvation again before the Lord when you're missing that piece. Right, because that little simple thing—a bolt or screw or a little piece of wood—like it's the whole thing won't go together if you don't have that one thing. I was thinking too in our pool in our backyard. uh, It's you know I think it's like twenty thousand gallons or something like that. There's a tiny little plug in our pool that if you unscrew that, it will lose ten thousand gallons like that. And it's this one little plug in the whole pool. That's keeping everything in there. That's crazy to me. So simple things can have this profound effect. You get the point. God is good. Sounds simple. Sounds almost childish. But I would say it's an absolute anchor point for our faith. Without belief that God is good, everything in our, in our faith starts to fall apart. If you remove the goodness of God, all those other things, all those other anchor points don't make any sense. And the verse in the Psalm 145 that we read, right dead center in the middle of that psalm are these verses, verse 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. This is a short little summary of the goodness of God. This is the, the way that the Bible actually describes the character of God. So when when, when God reveals himself to Moses in the, in the Old Testament, this is the description that comes off of when God reveals who he is. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And this is one of the most uh, uh, constant themes throughout scripture, these references to the character of God. When we talk about the goodness, we're talking about his character. We're talking about how he's gracious, how he is slow to anger, how he is abounding in love. These are his internal qualities. These are the, the the character of God. His goodness is who he is, even if we don't exist, right? You, you've probably seen posters like character is what happens or what you have when like when no one's looking. It's like before we were ever created, God was good. Does that make sense? So it, God was good before we were looking. He's not just good when we're looking. He's always good. But well, we're also talking about his actions, because God's actions flow out of his character. Who, what he does with us flows out of who he is. He cannot be other than what he is. He is good. Therefore, what he does is good. And so we talk about, oftentimes we talk about the goodness of God. We're thinking about his goodness to us. But the reality is, I want us to, I want us to say that there are days, and my guess is that you would say this, where I am like, it doesn't feel so good, God right? Yeah. There are days where it's like, I'm, I, today doesn't feel like a day where I'm reveling in the goodness of God, right? It's in those days where I have to remember that his character is good, even if I can't perceive it in this moment in time. We're going to dig into this in just a little bit. The way the Psalm 145 uh, talks about uh, over and over again, it's like his goodness can be witnessed everywhere. His goodness can be witnessed in the way he cares for creation, his goodness can be seen even in creation itself. We look at the mountains, we look at the trees, we look at the beauty. I mean, this, like, this time of the year, I feel like I revel in the goodness of God. Like, I'm one of those annoying people, like, look at the leaves. The leaves are so beautiful, I can't stop looking. Right? Like, I can't help myself. The leaves just, I, I see the goodness of God everywhere. As a matter of fact, it's not just that. Like, it's, I love the bright blue skies that we get in the fall with the bright green grass. It's like the, the heavens are declaring the goodness of God in the fall. That, that's, that's how it feels to me. We see the goodness of God in the beauty of creation and the stars and the way he treats his people. We see the goodness of God in his people. Like, man, there have been times in my life as I've been a follower of Jesus when I've been around you and I've been, I've been struggling and I see the goodness of God in your life and it's exactly what I needed to be reminded of the goodness of God, right? Um. It, it, there's so many ways that we can see the goodness of God. It's like uh, we can't escape seeing his goodness. The opening pages of the Bible recount that in creation, God was, God's good and everything he makes is good. It makes a point in the first chapter of Genesis. God creates and says it was good. And he creates and it was good. And he creates and it was good. Because it's a reflection of who he is. Like he couldn't help but create good. All of creation and even us bear the unmistakable mark of our creator. Even now, in this very room right here right now, in these four walls, the goodness of God is on display. Think about right now, you walk in this room. Most of you, I'm going to guess, didn't think about the fact that you're still breathing here in this room. But the whole entire time we've been in this room together, our lungs have been working and we weren't even thinking about it that's the very grace and the goodness of God. The whole entire time we've been sitting here in this room, your heart has been beating and pumping blood through your body, keeping you alive. You didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't. You don't do anything. It's happening totally unconsciously, right? Like right now we're breathing in oxygen that we didn't produce into our lungs. We're we're, we're living on nourishment and sustenance that we had no ability to create ourselves. If you ate a meal today or yesterday or the day before, then you are, living, you are living proof of the goodness of God here in this room. You don't have to look hard to see the goodness of God. If you just take a minute right now, even just be silent, just do this really quick for me. Put your feet on the ground, both feet on the ground, and just sit still and close your eyes. Just be present in your physical body. The very fact that your feet are on the ground right now and that you're breathing at all, that you're having these thoughts, this is the grace and the goodness of God. It's like we have to ground ourselves in the goodness. You can open your eyes. Without stepping foot out of the chair that you're in right now. The goodness of God is on display. Why does this matter so much? Well, it matters because you're not going to trust someone who isn't good. Now, some of you in this room don't know me very well. Uh, many of you do. And one of the reasons that you're, you're willing to be a part of this church family is, uh, is because in some way you find me and our leaders trustworthy. Right? If you didn't think that I was a trustworthy person, you would not be sitting here looking at me for 30 minutes or 50 every Sunday. Right? You you wouldn't trust me with that. Right? Because someone's goodness is essential for us to trust them. We don't trust people who we don't believe are good. So if we don't believe that God is good, how will we trust Him? The whole idea of our faith completely crumbles if we don't believe that God is good. Why would anyone trust a God who isn't good? Why would anyone love a God? who isn't good. It doesn't make any sense. Now, you might serve a God who you think isn't good because you're afraid he's gonna squash you like a bug out of fear, but that's not the heart of God. That's not why God wants a relationship with you. The the idea of a relationship is a two-way street. He's good and trustworthy and wants you to believe that about him. Think about this for a second. If God isn't good, why would I believe that he loves me? If God isn't good, why would I believe that He loves me? It's actually not possible to love if you're not good. Like goodness and love go together, don't they? Right? So it would be impossible to believe that God could love a sinner like me if I didn't believe that He was good. The entire basis of our faith is basically God is trustworthy, He is inherently good. He is good. And so therefore, I can trust him with my life. Even when I don't understand, even when it doesn't seem like I can see that goodness on clearly. even when there's happened things that happen that make me doubt that for a minute, or for a long period of time, the reality is the whole basis of our faith is the goodness of God. But here's the deal. The goodness of God has always been challenged. The goodness of God has always been challenged. As soon as humanity was created and placed in the garden. Here's the thing. They live in the goodness of God. You go back to the first couple pages of Genesis. God creates this good world, places his human beings who are very good. They're not just good. The Bible says they're good good. They're like extra good. He places them in the middle of this abundance, in the middle of all of his beauty of creation. And God says, as he places them in the middle of all of that abundance, in the middle of all of his goodness, like, look, here's the thing. Here, you can have anything you want here, But there's one tree here in the middle of this garden, and if you eat that tree, it's going to hurt you, so please don't do that. I don't want you to have that harm. I don't want you to be harmed that way. And and so what happens, just a couple, couple pages into the Bible, is that an enemy comes along and finds Adam and Eve in the middle of the garden, somewhere close to this tree, and begins to plant seeds of doubt about the goodness of God. He says to them, uh, Did God really say you can't eat of any tree in the garden? That's what he says to them. And Eve's like, Well, no, he said we can't eat of that, that tree. Isn't it interesting? The very first thing that the enemy does is twist the words of God, basically, to get them to think, Like, God is withholding something from you. Look, like, he doesn't, you can't eat of any of these trees. And like Eve is smart enough on the front on the front end to be like, well, I know that's not true. He just said we can't eat of this tree, right? So that's like a, a good check in the human beings column, but it, it rapidly goes bad, right? And so she replies. It's like, yeah, well, we just can't eat of this tree because uh, if we eat of it, and actually Eve adds a little thing. She's like, if we touch it, which is not what God said, but she says, well, if we touch it, we'll die. And so the serpent replies in verse four, of chapter three says, well, you won't sur- surely die. The serpent says to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What's happening here? Well, this enemy is basically planting the seed. God is withholding something from you. He's withholding something from you that you really want, don't you? He's withholding something. Doesn't that sound really good to know good and evil? He's withholding this thing from you, something that you want. And if God is withholding something from you that you feel like you really need or that you really want, is he really good? That's exactly what the enemy is doing. He's undermining the goodness of God by highlighting something that's lacking here. Maybe, maybe it's what he's trying to get Eve to plant these thoughts. Maybe if God is withholding these things from you, he's not really good. And maybe you know what's best for you. Maybe your way is better. And so Eve takes that to heart. It's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe this is right. I think that this is good and this is the thing I want. And if God's not going to give it to me, then I'll just take it for myself. Maybe he isn't really good after all. And this story, while it happened one time in history, is the story that plays out in our life over and over and over again. It's our human story. We live in crazy abundance all around us. Crazy abundance. Even the, that little exercise we just sit here, breathing in the air that we didn't create, uh, and being nourished on food that we didn't necessarily provide for ourselves. Our heart pumping, our brain—all of that is the abundance of God. And that's just what we can we can think of right here in this room. Not thinking about all the other things that God has done for us. Not thinking about the incredible gift of salvation and God's great grace on on the cross. Like we are people who are immersed in abundance. But there are things that happen in this life, disappointments, tragedies, that the enemy uses to pounce on in our life and get us to say, "Mm, if God was really good, he wouldn't have withheld that from you. If God was really good, that wouldn't have happened. And like sometimes we're able to see that scheme for what it is, but a lot of times we're not. Because a lot of times it doesn't sound like the voice of a serpent, it sounds like our own voice in our head. God must not be good because. Remember the story last week as Jesus is on the boat with his disciples? And the sea is raging and, and, they're, and they're starting. the disciples are starting to freak out. What do they say to Jesus? don't you even care that we're about to die? Can you imagine being in a boat with Jesus, who you've seen do incredible miracles already, and in that, in that moment being like, don't you even care about us? Like, this is just part of our human brokenness. It's part of the scheme of the enemy and what happens in the world. It's part of our own brokenness, is that, like, we have a tendency to, to fixate on... The thing the lack actually this is, there's a, this is actually a scientific thing uh, in, in human beings it's called a negative bias uh, where we are our brains are hardwired now I don't think that this was the case before the fall to fixate on the negative the, the pathways in our, our brain biologically it's easier for us to hold on to bad memories than it is to good memories. It's easier for us to focus on fear than it is to focus on faith. My guess is, if we were to pull people in the room and say, Hey, which prayer requests do you remember? You would be way more likely to remember the ones God didn't answer than the ones that he did. As a matter of fact, if you were to take a a little exercise and you were to just start writing things down on a list... And, and you were to make on the list, here are the, here's the goodness of God of the things that just happened in my life that I didn't pray for. That list would be incredibly. I'm like picturing, you know, Santa's scroll that he like rolls out for the good kids and not bad kids and it just keeps rolling forever and ever and ever. Like that's the list of your life, right? If we had time, we could go into the science, the science of how many breaths you've breathed in your life. Of how many thoughts that you had in your life. Of, of how many meals that you've shared in your life, of how many friendships that you've had in your life, of how many great moments that you've had with your family, with your friends. Like, that 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 list is way long. Those are the things you haven't prayed for. And then there's the things you have prayed for where you have seen the goodness of God, that you've forgotten that you prayed for that. I do this all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, I prayed for that. Anyone else experience that? It's like, oh, yeah, like... Because a lot of times, just as an aside, you pray for things, you pray for things, and then you move on, and then later on in life, there's like an answer to that request, and you've forgotten that you labored in prayer for that a long time ago, right? This is why it's a good idea, practical speaking, to keep a journal of your prayer requests, and to look over that and go, oh my gosh, look at that! The, you know, uh, Daniel and Kat, our youth pastors, they've been here for a year. We prayed for them for five years. That's awesome! right? I have to remember that and celebrate that all the time. Like, this is an incredible answer to prayer. And now we're praying things for church. I can't wait to see what he will do three years now. But the things that stand out to me the most, that are easiest for me to recall, are the unanswered prayers. That doesn't make you a bad person. It makes you a human person. And it just makes you a person that, just like Adam and Eve in the beginning, were susceptible to the temptation of the enemy to believe that God is in because we are hardwired to focus on the negative. I did this little exercise uh, during the, uh, oh man, I thought I was going to get through today. Got it. okay. For those of you who are not around, I get a little emotional from time to time, so I'm just trying to dial it in here. I did a little exercise at the end of 2020. 2020 was one of the hardest years of my life. No question. Nothing prepared me for what, what was happening in that year. And I, uh, we did this exercise in this retreat where I was with, with other pastors called Mountains and Valleys. And uh, the pastor that was leading us asked us to list all the things that felt like a valley. And it was amazing. I was able to rattle those things off really quick. Here's, here, This was hard, this was hard, and this was hard. This was hard. he says, okay, now I want you to list the things that felt like a mountaintop. You know, it was it's really, really hard for me to do it. But as I took the time and pressed in said, God, would you just show me the things that I have to celebrate over this last year? All of a sudden, man, I had way more mountains than I did valleys. I had way more mountains than I did valleys. And then I realized, man, that mountain, that got me through that valley. Right? But I'm hardwired. We're hardwired to focus in on the negative. See, the goal here isn't to undermine human suffering and hardship as though we should act like it didn't happen or that sometimes things happen that we can't explain. That's not the heart of God. God doesn't ignore those things. Actually, even in the psalm, in Psalm 145, it talks about how God lifts up all of those who have fallen. And he hears those who are crying out. That sounds to me like somebody who might be in a place going, God, are you really good? And here's what God doesn't say, uh, too bad, so sad, get on board with my goodness, forget that, you know, thing. No, God hears the cries of our hearts. God doesn't look at us and say, ah, you ungrateful. <laughs> I'm not going to answer your next prayer. <laughs> right? like, let's be honest, sometimes that's how we perceive that God acts with us. It sounds silly and cartoonish, but that is the the operating system of our minds a lot of times. But the reality is God hears our cry and is willing to meet us in those places. But we have to make sure that we're aware of the enemy's schemes and how he will pounce on any opportunity he has to distort the goodness of God and get us to doubt it. And why is that the case? Well, because it's really dangerous to us. And the enemy knows that. The enemy knows that us doubting the goodness of God, us putting aside the goodness of God, is actually a place of shipwreck for our faith. He knows that it's dangerous to, to us. If he can get us to focus on the one tree in the garden we can't have, instead of the abundance around us, like then he knows that our trust is going to get off kilter. He knows that if we think that God isn't good, then God won't be trustworthy. And if he's not trustworthy, then we won't trust him. And it's hard to have friendships with people that you don't trust. And What God really wants for you is not just uh, relenting loyalty, but trust and friendship. And I can't emphasize this enough, guys. God wants to walk with you like a friend. Yes, he's your Savior. Yes, he's your Lord. Yes, he's the Savior, soul. he's the conquering king. He is all of that and more. But he also knows your heart and wants your heart. And so the enemy's goal is to disrupt that, to disrupt friendships with God. You know, the devil doesn't need to get you to hate God, just to not trust him. Now, I, don't have a, I don't have a lot of hate in my heart for, for many people, but there are a lot of people I don't trust. So I don't have friendships with those people, right? So it's not, the, it's not the goal of the enemy to get you to hate God, it's just to not trust him. Because if I don't trust him, then I can't walk in friendship with him. Just put a little bit of trust, mistrust there, a little bit of a wedge. And again, God doesn't ask us to ignore those hardships and difficulties and disappointments. But what he asks of us to do is to place those things in the context of his broader goodness. We're meant to see the hardship and light of the goodness. What we're meant to do is say, yeah, this thing is really, really hard. This is really, really difficult. But God, I see this in the light of your crazy abundance around me. I see how much, think about that. The the enemy gets Eve and Adam to focus on the one thing they can't have in the garden instead of all of the other things they could have. And it's just a subtle little trick. Hey, get your focus here on what you can't have. Get your focus here on that thing and not on all of these other things that I've done for you. And again, we're hardwired to do this, and so the enemy preys on this. He, like, he jumps on this. It's like, you know, if you're ever like, in this situation where someone's like, hey, don't look down, what's the thing you do right away? If you weren't thinking about looking down, you look down right away, right? Like, it's, it's difficult not to. I try. We, yesterday, this happened to me. Uh, come in, and there's a football game on the screen, and everything in me says don't look at the bottom of the screen where it shows the score from the other games, and then everything in me still looks at the scores, and then I'm ruined for the game that I wanted to watch. Right? Like, there's this whole other game I could be watching, but I'm focused on the bottom of the screen. Sorry, Heath, are you okay today? Heath's a big Alabama fan. Are you gonna are you gonna be okay? All right, we have some deliverance prayer for you later. If you don't know, whatever, it's fine. You don't care, but uh, but anyway, we love Heath, and so anyway. But everything in us wants to focus in on those things. So we're meant to see God's the, the, the difficulty and the tragedy and the light of God's broader goodness, not the other way around. Because when we perceive God's goodness, when we're anchored in his goodness, we are dangerous to the enemy. When, when we're doubting God's goodness, It's dangerous to us but when we are anchored in god's goodness we are a danger to the enemy and really i think that that's what god's heart for us even in this needs to be do you know church family do you know the power of god that rests in you when you are convinced that god is good do you know what you carry do you know the atmospheres that can shift When you are confident in God's goodness and you walk into a room or to a situation going, I don't know what's happening here, but I know whatever happens when I walk out, I know that God is good. And so I'm going to bring that goodness into the situation. Do you know the power that that carries? When you're walking in awareness of of his goodness, you are a danger to the kingdom of darkness. You know, when Jesus encountered evil, and he encountered all kinds of evil, leprosy. Leprosy is a terrible, terrible sickness. People who are demon-possessed, the guy's throwing himself into a fire. I mean, there's all kinds of evil that Jesus encounters. It would, it would have been easy, I think, to be overwhelmed by that and being like, I'm not sure we're doing the right thing here. Like, and, and to doubt God's goodness. But instead, Jesus is so anchored... And the goodness of his father, that everywhere he goes, he brings that goodness to the evil that he encounters and he overcomes it rather than being overcome by it. And that's what God's heart for us is. Because people who are anchored in the goodness of God bring the goodness of God. People who are anchored in the goodness of God bring the goodness of God. They see hardship and difficulty and they bring healing to it instead of running away from it. Everywhere Jesus goes, he raises the atmosphere. He brings healing. He brings healing to it. I think that that's God's heart for us that we would be so anchored in his goodness that not only would we avoid the shipwreck, but that actually we would become rescuers. See, a lot of times I think when we talk, we have this conversation, it's, we, we can get into the idea of like, well, I'm just trying to make sure I protect my faith. That's not God's primary concern. Yeah, he doesn't want that for you, but what he really wants is you are called to be an agent of healing and hope and a gospel bringer, a good news bringer into every situation, everywhere you go. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. I'm taking a book out of Chad Norris on that one. The, The reality is that you carry the goodness of God inside of you. Yeah, there have been times where I've I've prayed. The truth is, I didn't feel it on the inside. But I knew that God was good. I saw God do something I didn't know was possible. Because there's something called faith that we have, that we exercise as Christians, because we're called to live by faith and not by sight. Have any of you seen Jesus resurrected from the dead? I mean, did you see him walk out of the tomb? No. But every person in this room believes that that's true. That's why we sing the songs that we sing and why we take the communion that we do. It's an act of faith, and so is placing our our, our faith in the goodness of God. So that when we encounter all kinds of trials and things that happen, we've got this anchor that we're anchored like, I I, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what's happening here. I don't understand. God, this is beyond, I I heard Bill Johnson say one time, if you want to have peace that passes understanding, then you have to be willing to surrender your understanding. Man, that's powerful in my life. If I want to have peace that goes beyond understanding, which what Paul says is ours, the Apostle Paul, I have to be willing to surrender my understanding. Now I'm like living a daily life of God I don't understand. <laughs> like I don't understand. <laughs> but this doesn't happen automatically. So, so here, I, I want to I relieve you. If you're here in the room, you're like, yeah, I like struggle with believing that, in the goodness of God. And I've had some things in my life that make me doubt that. I just want you to hear the, the heart of the Father towards you, that he loves you, he's not mad at you. You didn't fail him. Like he's here to pick up the pieces with you. Like he's here on this journey to reveal his goodness in your life. Like I just I want you to hear that from me today. And if we want to grow in this anchor of goodness, it is something that we will actually have to actively cultivate. It's actually is something that we can participate in. I think sometimes we have this idea that this is either something I believe or I don't. And that's simply not true. Actually, every belief that you have comes from somewhere. has been reinforced by things that you do or things that other people do around you. And so you can grow in these areas if they're not something that comes natural to you. And actually, here in Psalm, in Psalm 145, it actually gives us a little bit of a road map of how you can grow and be anchored in the goodness of God. The first thing that happens in this psalm is simply observation. So the first few verses of the psalm are just observations about what God has done. Here's what God has done. Here's what God has done. Look at his goodness on display. It's just simply observing. And so if you want to grow and being anchored in the goodness of God, one of the things that you must absolutely do is take intentional time to observe the goodness of God. Take time for it. There can be days where I can feel like I just don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what's happening. I gotta, but, like, and I just can feel completely overwhelmed. But if I actually stop for just a minute and take a notepad out and just begin to list some things where I can see the goodness of God, it will literally change the climate of my heart. It literally begins to renew my mind and help me see things in a different way. Not in a weird, like, um, uh, psycho spiritual kind of thing, but literally God has hardwired you that when you focus in on gratitude and observing what he's done, that it will reverse that negative bias in your heart. But that negative bias is like, the, like a tide that's coming at you, and you have to swim upstream against it. Like you have to make a conscious choice. I will swim upstream. I, I, I like I am not going to go with the flow. Instead, I'm going to choose to anchor myself by observing the goodness of God. And sometimes, it, sometimes it's easier just to observe the goodness of God in creation. So it's literally like, God, thank you for that tree. Thank you for those stars. Thank you for the grass under my feet. Thank you for that food that I just ate. Thank you for the time I just had with those friends. Like, sometimes it just, it's just like that. And then sometimes, God, thank you for my kids. Thank you, thank you for that answer to prayer. Thank you for the way you provided for us. Like, I, I mean, just, just those kinds, just observing what God has done will help you to grow and being anchored and good. But you've got to slow down. Life's coming at you a million miles an hour. And again, everything in in you is pushing against you believing in the goodness of God. Do you you realize this? The enemy and the broken world that you live in does not want you to believe in the goodness of God. So we can't be passive about this, friends. Like this is something we almost have to have like a militant kind of decision making. Like I will do this. I will not be passive. I will not let the gate of my mind be open to be influenced in another way. I will will actively observe the goodness of God. So observation is the first thing. Second thing is proclamation. The psalm talks about how one generation declares to another and how I will sing of the goodness of God. That's what what we did here in worship. Proclamation is really important. It's one thing to think a thought in your mind. It's another thing to say it out loud. God creates the whole world by a speech. And again, I'm not, I'm, not thinking, I'm not talking about kind of like psycho like spiritual babble. I'm talking about. It's important that we declare with our mouth the glory of God. We have to proclaim the goodness of God. We have to name what we see. When we see the goodness of God, we have to say it out loud. We have to tell other people about it. It's amazing what will happen if you just simply share with another person something that God has done in your life. Some little bit of goodness that you've seen. And it's amazing how it will change the atmosphere of your heart. Look, look, I'm by nature a little bit of a negative Nancy. I'm just going to, I'm sorry if anyone's Nancy in the room. I didn't mean to. So uh, that's not, sorry, negative, I don't know, chale. I'll just go with that. So I'm a bit of a negative chale. Uh, we do have Nancy. Sorry. I forgot about that. So I'm a negative jail and it's just easier for me. You get into a conversation to focus on the hard, right? How was your week? Oh man, it's really tough. And that's good. I'm so thankful that I have people that I can share about my week. Honestly, that we don't have to like polish it off. Like guys, if you're new to our church, we don't do fake here. It, just, it doesn't exist. We, we just, that's not us. We won't ever be that way. So we're never asking anybody to fake it. But there are some times where I have to make a conscious choice to say, I'm going to name something that God did that was good this week. I'm just going to proclaim it right now, rather than focus on X, Y, Z, that was hard. We proclaim to God, God, you're good. This seems a little bit weird. It's like, why are we telling God that he's good? But there's something that happens when we focus our thoughts on what we call adoration. That's a big Bible word for just letting God know how much we love him. Like how much we appreciate him. There's something that happens inside us when we adore him. When we proclaim to him, God, you're good. You're faithful. You've been faithful to every generation. Like, it's amazing, sometimes those things start coming out of my mouth, and, like, I can't stop the tide of thoughts and the words that start coming out of my mouth. But, man, as long as I've got it zipped, I feel like I'm having a hard time thinking anything to praise God about today. But I start, and then all of a sudden, this torrent of praise can start to come, to come out. You guys okay with me? Is still good? Yeah. yeah. Proclamation is so important, but we also proclaim to others. We tell others what God has done. The psalm, go back and read it. Look at how it talks about proclaiming the goodness of God. And the last thing is this celebration. Celebration. All throughout the psalm, there's this theme of like feasting in the abundance of God. It's one thing to think good thoughts about God. It's another thing to tell other people about how God is good. It's another thing to have other people around together and somehow we like revel in the goodness of God where we enjoy good food together and we declare the stories of the things that God has done in our life. We talk about the things that we're thankful for. Whether it's with a group of other people or whether it's just in your home, I think it's so important and a complete lost art of celebrating the goodness of God. When when God instituted the, the Sabbath for his people, his intention in the Old Testament was that they would celebrate his crazy provision in their life. And then there's all these awesome festivals, which we just totally miss out on as Christians, that the Jewish people observe are just incredible festivals of celebrating the goodness of God. We looked at that when we, we talked about the book of Nehemiah and how God's calling us to throw parties. Not parties like the world, but parties where we're celebrating the goodness of God together. Some of the most powerful times of my life have been in a moment of celebration. Think about a wedding feast. That's more than a proclamation. That's a celebration of people coming together. Look at these families joined together. We need to learn how to celebrate in our homes and in our lives. That solidifies the goodness of God. So here, I want to challenge you to grow in being anchored in the goodness of God by choosing to observe this week. Take time. To observe the goodness of God. Take time this week to proclaim the goodness of God. John, you can come on up. Take time to celebrate. How might you do that? I, I, I don't know. What, what might it look like for you? We've done different things in our family. There's been times because our we try to, on Friday nights, we're, we're out of this rhythm right now, but for a little while, every Friday night... We would try to kick off the beginning of our weekend with something that felt just a little bit different than the rest of our week. Something that was just a little bit different. So we might turn on the lights and light a candle. Uh, we we'd like bake a like brownies or know, cookies or something. Like we would just do make our make our own pizzas. Something that just felt special. And then we would just remember what God had done and celebrate His His faithfulness throughout the week. So it doesn't have to be anything crazy, like. But also, maybe God's calling you to host a a, a party at your house to celebrate God's goodness in that way. I don't know what it might be for you. But here's what I do know, is that this must be an absolute conscious choice on your part to be anchored in this way. One of the best things that you can do is to memorize Scripture. So the verses that are on the back of your card that tell about the character of God, slow to anger, rich in love, Remembering those things and reciting them every day keeps us anchored in the goodness. So when I encounter evil, I'm able to bring the goodness of God to that situation, right? How did Jesus fight the enemy in the wilderness? Scripture. Do you realize that when, when Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he was doing the same thing that he do, does to us, that he did to Adam and Eve. Try to doubt the goodness of God. If you're hungry, why don't you turn these things into stone? God won't take care of you. If you really are the Son of God, do this, right? He's just trying to get us to doubt the goodness of God. So, what, is, what does Jesus do? He uses the promises and the right context of Scripture to speak truth to the enemy and say, I know what you're saying, but here's what God's Word actually says. And so, I'm anchored in this so maybe this week it's as simple as deciding hey as a family as a household whoever you live with i'm going to memorize these two verses and every time i have a thought that comes to mind that causes me to doubt the goodness of god i'm just going to quote scripture at the devil i'm going to renew my mind by feasting on the word of god i'm telling you these two verses right here if you get them into your spirit about the words here. God is gracious. God is compassionate. He's slow to anger and rich in love. He's never going to run out of love. There's never a bottom to it. He's good to all. Not some. He has compassion on all he's made. men that's powerful. So, I'm going to give you a second here. Just if you could, just change your posture a little bit. Close your eyes, maybe shift around in your chair. What's God speaking to you right now? How's He, how's he working in your heart? What's He drawing to, to your attention? I believe that while I was preaching, there were things that were being unlocked in people's hearts rooms that have been closed off. And I want to ask you right now to not overthink it. If you feel any relief, any freedom right now, any sense of an open door, just invite the Holy Spirit Say, come and flood that with your goodness right now. Flood it with your goodness. So if that means anything to you right now, I just, I just want to say that the Lord's not concern, concerned about the lost time. Some of you in the room are probably like me. Um, there have been uh, moments where human beings have failed you, hurt you. It's been very difficult to not project onto God that hurt. I just feel like God wants to heal that. He sees it, he knows it. Lord, I pray right now that you begin to strengthen people in their inner person and in their spirit, Lord, in the, in the depths of their soul, That places that are hard to access just by, uh, by thinking about it, God. Would you begin to just do a work, Lord, at, at just a gut level to restore and, and to heal anything that's broken, any fractured pieces, God, just begin to do that work. Help us, God, to grow into being gospel proclaimers, people who bring the good news of the good God wherever we go and whatever we do. God, I pray that we would be awakened to your goodness. Lord, renew our minds just to complete, Reworking of our thought patterns, God, that aren't healthy or helpful to us, Lord. Renew our minds, Lord. Lord, you don't want us to be conformed to the pattern of the world. Lord, would you want us to be able to discern your good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's your heart, God. So, Lord, would you begin to renew our minds even now, Lord. Help us to, to, to reconnect the dots between your goodness and you. any fractured pieces just be healed right now. Lord, and would you um, work in the body of Christ here among your people that we might provide healing and hope for anyone who's struggling with doubts or frustrations about the goodness of God. Lord, would, would we prop people up? Lord, would you work in the body of Christ? Lord, raise up shepherds in our midst, Lord, to walk with people through valleys and through difficult times. Lord, the presence of of Christ through his people. Lord, raise people up right now to to be that for others. Lord, I would you draw our attention to the ways that you are good and the answered prayers. I think even last week about all the hands that were raised, that God did something in their life, even here while we were worshiping together. Uh, there's so many testimonies, God, I know that you already have in this room and that you are releasing. So raise us up, Lord. My guess is there might be some people here who feel like like, there's a layer here that I feel like I need to press in deeper. And so we've got space here if you want to come forward and pray. We'd love to pray with you. Again, if you come forward for prayer, it doesn't say, I have a problem. It actually says, no, I, like, I know that God's grace is sufficient for me, and so I want to meet him. Uh, so I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, I, I think there's something really, really important about making that physical move uh, when to pray and not just leaving with good thoughts. Look, we are not interested in planting good thoughts in your head as a church. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested, and God is interested, in the transformation of your heart, the renewing of your mind. Alright? So, let's make sure that we're hearing God's word and applying it to our life, and there's something that can happen sometimes when we pray right here and right now. So, uh, and if not, be blessed. Have a great week. I hope it's an awesome week, and I hope that you revel in the goodness of God as you go. Amen? Amen. See you guys next week.